0: Welcome to the HR like a boss podcast. I'm your host, John Bernadovich. Thank you so much for listening. Please consider liking, commenting, subscribing, and sharing with a friend. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals with the hope to find out what it takes to do HR like a boss. On today's episode, I am super excited to be joined by Matt Kuntz. Matt is a contact that I made through our sponsorship of Disrupt HR Columbus. And I'm super excited to have him on. And you can tell if you're watching, he's a huge Buckeyes fan. Oh, I O. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, excited to be here. Thanks a bunch, man. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Well, first and foremost, I know a lot of people know who you are. You've written some really cool and successful books and you're Put your name out there and speaking engagements. That's how we connected through Disrupt HR Columbus. But tell our listeners all about yourself.
1: Sure. So uh the short version, uh, I'm an athletic trainer, so my background is sports medicine, and which is a, a weird HR thing. But uh, a few years back I wrote a book called Contextual Intelligence, which kind of uh I guess, catapulted me into, into this space of training and development, HR and OD, and I'm just loving it. But my day job is I'm a professor, actually, at Florida International University in Miami. Uh, I live here in Ohio, so I kind of teach remotely in a doctoral program in the College of Nursing and Health Sciences of all places. But uh, but it's uh, I've got a long history of being in academics. I, my PhD is in a global leadership. Uh, from a business college. So I do have a big background in, in global leadership. I travel internationally quite a bit and been a Fulbright scholar. I've been a visiting research fellow in Australia and lived in Rwanda and done a lot of neat stuff. And uh, and so, yeah, I guess I guess that's the short enough version of, of, of my
0: background for you there. Fantastic. And I'll, I'll let a little bit, a little secret out. So Matt reached out to speak at Disrupt HR Columbus. I really appreciated his His intro to me and uh, super excited to make the connection. We're we're blessed to have 10 wonderful speakers for Disrupt HR and super excited about that event. If you haven't registered for that, look online and Google Disrupt HR Columbus and you'll you'll come to find that event. But Matt is our, he's our in, in the wing sub. If we have one of our speakers not able to make it, He's willing and able to do a presentation, but he will for sure be one of our, our keynote speakers at next year's Disrupt HR Columbus if he doesn't speak this year. So if you've never heard of or listened to or went to a Disrupt HR event, please check it out. No matter where you are in the world, they are all over the place. And they're one of my favorite HR events to do disrupt, disruptive conversations about all things HR. And certainly, Matt, you got a lot of things to talk about that's disruptive in the field of human resources, because a, a sports medicine guy is, is making his name in HR. And I, I'm, I'm certainly interested to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. That's, that's the, that, oh, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say that's the that's the neat part about what I do is, is not being an HR guy myself, per se, it's, I get to show up in this HR space and actually say what I really think. And everybody's like, what, what is it? Who is this guy? What's he talking about? I talk about disruptive ideas. It, it certainly can be uh, for some HR folks.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Bring, bring it on, keep at it. That's what it's all about. That's what HR Like a Boss is all about, about driving innovation and being transformative and being a business person first, that drives real intentional change in an amazingly awesome way to better our employees, our companies, and our community. That being said, I start off every guest with the same question, and that's okay because that's the standard. It's my podcast. We can do what I want. I'm curious to think what you think, Matt, is the purpose of human resources.
1: So in my, in my mind, HR exists to provide leadership for the organization, I mean, HR for me is is leadership and what a leader does better or more often than anybody else is they equip people to um, perform excellently. And I talk about, you know, the difference between, you know, excellence and perfection. I think a lot of us have this, this faulty mindset that people are expecting us to be perfect. And I don't know that perfection is achievable, but I do know and believe that excellence is. And I think one of the biggest thing that an HR, uh, the reason HR exists, again, from my side of the seat, which is not in that HR seat. So I'm always thinking of HR as an office I have to go to or a person I have to interact with. So when I think of HR, I'm thinking bottom up, so to speak. And I look to my HR uh, executives, my HR representatives, and the people who I'm working with there to equip me and empower me to perform my job the best that I can do it. And, uh, and I think to me, that's what a leader does. And, and that's what HR is all about. It's it's opening the doors for me to do my job as easily uh, as I can and perform to the
0: best of my ability. Awesome. Yeah. And I think speaking of the best of your ability, when we first connected, you told me about this, the book you written and this concept of contextual intelligence. And I may not have even pronounced it properly. I, I, I know it's a it's a newer term and something you're trying to bring to the world. And I'm just curious if you can, for me and our listeners, simplify that idea down to layman's terms. And, and what does that mean? Sure. So contextual intelligence is kind of a, a neat story,
1: actually, this whole idea behind it, but and where it even came from. And I'm not the first person to use the term. Of course, when I used it, the first time I thought I was the first person to use the term. And and of course, as all things go, you do a little bit more investigation and research and you realize someone else used the term differently. Uh, in a different place and context. But what I mean by it, when I use the term contextual intelligence, it's basically context. So we understand what context is, right? The background event or situations that we're involved in. And and if you look at the, the history of the word context, it's actually rooted in a Latin word, context year, which is related to the concept of textiles or fabrics. So it really was used the first time the word context was used, it was used to describe the process of all the different fabrics and textures of fabrics that made a tapestry. So when you think about context in that sense, it's actually quite, profound and interesting is context is all the different colors, all the different textures of a fabric that go to create a picture. So in a business organization or in a, in a corporate sense, context is the stories and the history that we all bring as individuals, the unique experiences that we have that we bring to the organization that create a unique picture that we're looking at, a unique organization then you throw in the concept of intelligence in there. And what I mean by intelligence is completely different than what most of the world means by intelligence. When most of the world talks about intelligence, they're referring to things like your IQ, there are your grade point average, you know, your GPA in college or your explicit knowledge, you know, this, this intellectual capacity. That's not what intelligence is. If you really explore what intelligence is all about and the outcomes of intelligence. It's really about being able to contribute in an environment meaningfully and with the shortest learning curve possible. So combining those two concepts, contextual intelligence is about understanding and looking at the environment, being aware of all the different pieces that are contributing to the situation you're currently engaged in, and then being able to respond quickly and appropriately in that context. So that's kind of the nutshell. The the neat thing about context is that it's changing all the time. So for example, a new person enters the conversation, an old familiar person exits the conversation, the context is constantly shifting. Because it's dependent on the human interaction, context is never static. And we as practitioners, we as clinicians, we as business people, executives, HR practitioners, have this default where we're trying to simplify how we interact with the world and one of the things that we do by naturally to simplify what we're what we're seeing is we try to filter out all the bias, we try to filter out all the different inputs, we try to make everybody fit a standard mold or a same mold, Then we're really ignoring context. So talking about disrupting this HR, talking about flipping this idea of of performance and leadership in a different way, it requires this idea of contextual intelligence, which is, again, diagnosing your environment in real time and then responding appropriately to what it is that you're
0: seeing just blew my mind. Literally blew my mind. Like, Holy cow. If someone's like listening to this podcast in the car, pull pull your car on the side of the road and just absorb what Matt just said. Like there's so many dynamics to that, that I, I don't even know where to go with my next question. The immediate thing that comes to mind for me, Matt is I'm, I'm so used to trained HR professional been around the space for 25 years. Emotional intelligence was a mind boggling concept. Right. And I'm curious, how you compare contextual intelligence to EQ, because EQ in the world of HR is a little bit more well known, you know, 25 years plus, I don't know the time frame for when that first came on the scene. I'm just curious of your perspective of how you'd compare contextual intelligence to EQ. Yeah, so that's a great question because that
1: actually comes up a lot. Even in my professional writing, I get peer reviewers and editors come back and want me to address that. I've given actually a couple talks, um, at the um, at the Ohio State Sherm meeting, for example, a few several years ago, and even um, going on the HR cruise and speaking on it here again uh, this weekend, actually. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But the topic on that, and and what generated that whole thing, the very first time, I don't know, five or six years ago, I gave a talk at Ohio Sherm on EQ plus CQ, uh, and it's basically contextual intelligence. Is in my opinion, So, well, this is my opinion, and I know you know, there's a lot of emotional intelligence fans out there. I'm a big emotional intelligence fan. But so I I don't want to, um, I don't want to disrespect emotional intelligence scholarship or research or practitioners in any way. But I would say that kind of the the CIQ or the contextual intelligence quotient is kind of a a, a next evolutionary stage to to EQ or or EI. And what I mean, and I I say that because I'm currently actually at um, I I can suppose I can talk about the research. We're currently doing research right now with some colleagues at a couple different institutions, where we're looking at uh, the predictors of contextual intelligence based on emotional intelligence attributes. So, so I do think there's a connection, there's a very obvious connection for sure, but you asked about the difference. So what is the difference between uh, EQ and what I call CIQ, which is contextual intelligence quotient? And that's basically understand so understanding the internal environment, which EQ does very well, and the in, internal cues, but then there's also the contextual cues. And contextual cues are more than just the environment. It's more than just a political situation. It's more than just uh, different things that are going on in the workplace right now, but it's paying attention to, to the catalysts or the causes of some of the emotions and, and things and feelings and, and situations that are coming together in a unique situation and and the big difference is of course understanding that all of this is completely dynamic. So I mentioned earlier about the fact that when you have multiple people in a conversation, well it's not just what the people bring, their experiences, their biases, their history, their expectations, their values, you know, they bring all those things and a lot of those things conflict with each other, you know, and that's a big issue. And then on top of that, you have the what's going on culturally you have what's going on politically you've got people's uh religious beliefs their moral backgrounds there's there's so many factors that go into creating a context and ci is about learning some tricks and i have a few recommendations on how to make that easier i call it 3d thinking but it's learning those tricks that help clue you into those other clues. And to start with, for sure, you have to have solid EI. You have to have great EQ. You've gotta be aware of your emotions and the emotions of the person and people you're interacting with. But when you combine that with what the context throws at it, it causes a completely different kind of environment. And so that's why I say it's the next evolution of of EQ. It's it's understanding my internal uh, state, it's understanding the best of my ability, other people's internal states and what they're bringing but then it's also adding to that how the context dictates what someone's internal
0: state is and not just their experiences or background that's awesome yeah keep at it i'm so glad you're doing that research taking eqei emotional intelligence to a totally different level and i know you're trying to be totally respectful to, to that entire population, I know one of my favorite books that I, I've read recently was by Mark Brackett. He's the head of the Emotional Intelligence Institute at Yale University. He was on this transformative for me in my life podcast with Brene Brown, and he, he started talking about all the different dynamics of EQ. and His his book was called Permission to Feel, and it just at the time in my life that hit me. And I hope others that are listening now might have a, a similar experience when they read your book or listen to this podcast to take that. It, it makes it seem so much more complex when you talk about all those contextual and aspects of it, the, the bias, the emotions, the politics, the people. And that's why we don't react all the time, every right. single time, because everything around us is always different.
1: Right, you said a key word there, complex. I have actually dedicated a couple chapters in my book to the notion of complexity because you're exactly right. What what is different about this is the difference between how we think of the world as complex versus complicated. Most of us engage the world as as if it's complicated. And we say things like, well, life is complicated, my job's complicated or whatever. And, And my message is you're wrong it's not complicated, it's complex. And there's a huge difference between being complicated and complex. And just in a quick nutshell, if I could illustrate it this way, and you have to do a little thought experiment with me, but I kind of illustrate complex, or I'm sorry, complicated nature is like playing with Legos. So imagine you have a bunch of different color Legos and you snap the Lego colors together. And, and then you present that as, you know, this is whatever I'm making or whatever I'm building. And you realize, oh, I, I need the yellow Lego back. Well, it's easy to go into that and unplug the yellow Lego and replace it with something else. And, and the actual structure doesn't even change at all, right? That's complicated. That's, that's when we, we have so many different variables that create something, but the variables can be in, in exchanged or changed out without disrupting anything. Well, complexity is like Play-Doh. So imagine I've got several different colors of Play-Doh now. Same colors as I have with the Legos. And I begin to mix all the Lego or all the Play-Doh colors together. Something completely different is going to happen. Now, I started with the same number of colors. I started with the same number of variables that all go in. But how I interact with them is completely different. Because if I realize, oh, shoot, I need that yellow Play-Doh back. Once it's been mixed in with the others, I can't get it all back. Matter of fact, I might not be able to get any of it back. Or if I do get some of it back, it's got it's tainted by the other colors, and some of the original yellow is still in the Play-Doh ball. That's what complexity is. Complex life is like play-doh, not like Legos. And we try to, this is this is the big breakthrough for HR people. That's why HR people love this talk so much is because they're realizing, oh crap, I've built my whole career, I've built my whole department, i built every, all the policies that I've written are based around Lego rules. And you're telling me the world doesn't live by Lego rules, the world lives by Plato rules how do i how do i accommodate and adjust for that and that's the really reality of it is it is so complex but it doesn't have to be hard complexity is not synonymous with difficulty and we think it is and one of the things that i say quite a bit and tweet about and stuff is this idea that chaos is the package that your potential arrives in and what that means is we've got to begin to understand that the complexity or chaos of life is not something negative that happens to me, it's an opportunity for me to learn. It's an opportunity for me to go in a direction that I didn't think I could go in or to perform to a level that I didn't think I was capable of performing in or pursue an opportunity that I didn't realize was an opportunity. And when we have that slight little adjustment of transitioning from thinking the world is complicated to believing and understanding how it's complex, the options and how I interact with the world change for the better. And it gives me a much better perspective to understand the context and all those variables that we've been talking about that go into a situation.
0: Yeah, no, well said. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think if you haven't done it yet, at a future seminar, I could see you handing out little little buckets of Play-Doh and some Legos and get, do that do that do. talk you just did and see how diverse. The I Play-Doh do. I've got basketball balls.
1: size uh, dried up old Play-Doh balls over here because I travel. I actually got uh, it was a horrible horrible story to never walk through an airport with a luggage full of Play-Doh.
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're that so guy. You no,
1: know, I've been detained for having uh, too much play-doh. It's apparently it looks too much like uh plastic explosives. Oh, but gosh. uh that's a oh, true yeah. story. That's what we call in Texas a three beer story for another day. <laughs> I believe
0: it. Yeah. Well, if 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 Matt comes to disrupt HR Columbus on May 25th, we can have that conversation over a glass of wine or at next year's or anytime you see him, let's ha- let's have that conversation another time for the sake of today. Though I do have to give a shameless plug to our sponsors near and dear to my heart. Willery has supported the formation and continues to provide resources to put on the HR Like a Boss podcast. Willery's purpose is to empower people and is focused on supporting mid-sized companies with their search and staff augmentation services along with its client-side HR technology consulting practice. If you're struggling to find talent in HR and payroll, and I know a lot of you are, or you're not getting that return on your investment from your HR tech, please visit willery.com to learn more. All right. I got to get back to my next question because I think this is critical in the spirit of human resources and how they can take some of the information you shared, what you've written in your book and and the research you're doing and the the speeches that you give is this idea of crucial conversations. I cannot imagine how much more well-equipped you would be as an HR pro and to your manager and to that employee if they understood the dynamic that contextual intelligence can bring to that. Tell me your thoughts on how what your research is showing can help an individual navigate through a tough conversation.
1: Yeah, that's a great question because there there are some very tangible things that can be done. One of the things that I think helps more with any conversation, especially the crucial ones that need to happen, is what I call this notion of 3D thinking. And if we can learn to practice 3D thinking and have it as part of our thought process, it dramatically impacts the quality of the conversations we have with people and how they walk away feeling not like they've just been um, rebuked or they've just been chastised or they actually feel like, oh, my goodness, this person's actually on my side. And so what 3D thinking is it's the appropriate application of the three dimensions of time in how we frame our ideas and our conversations, and and basically it's past, present, and future. And in the book, I call it hindsight, insight, and foresight. Basically, what that means is this: if you if you study most people's responses and how most people will evaluate an opportunity or a situation that they're in, the default evaluation frame uh, perspective is the past or hindsight. And we typically filter everything we do and say through the filter of hindsight. Okay. 3D thinking is about using the other two dimensions of time equally as much as hindsight. So the other two dimensions would be insight, which is the present and foresight, which is the future. And so what we need to do is equally distribute the mental time we spend in each of those three time orientations. So when you're interacting with someone, it's not only talking about or rehearsing what happened in the past. It's all and, and why that happened. Of course there's there's you know there's a lot of depth to this. Um, not just the past and why ha- what happened happened and how it happened, but also, well, what does that mean for the present and what's happening in the present? Because what happened then is, is, can only be effective if we understand what's happening right now. And so much of the time, we neglect that, the reality of the present moment. And then in addition to that, there's not only the reality of the present moment, but there's what I call our aspirational identity, or the person or organization that we want to be or need to be, which is foresight driven. So I need to be able to also see all three of those time orientations in the present moment. So I I say that there's an equation, it's hindsight plus foresight equals insight. When I have a correct and accurate understanding of the past with a ability to articulate clearly what I want in the future, those two things converge or collide together to give me accurate insight for the moment right now. And I find myself, and literally people have said this to me, I find myself more likely to say the right thing at the right time, instead of having the brilliant idea or the great comeback, you know, as I'm walking away or the next day when I'm rehearsing what happened in my mind. And by learning the skills of converging those three-time orientations, uh, we can actually enhance our capacity to have these crucial conversations and meaningful conversations. And by the way, this works more than just HR. I, I had a guy tell me, and this is the first time I actually realized I had something valuable is it was after a, a workshop I had just done and he was actually followed me out to my car and, and he following me. He goes, he goes, sir, that was, that was my, like you said, at the beginning, my mind exploded. But what I realized about halfway through your talk, when you started talking about 3D thinking, is that if I had known that seven years ago, I wouldn't be divorced right now. And, uh, and you know, that's a profound, that's, that that made me stop. You know, it's like, well, wait, I didn't even see that as relevant or, or something valuable here. But it goes to about crucial conversations. Some of the most crucial conversations we have are with the people who we love, the people around us. And just now imagine that impact and then bring it to work and how that can actually change the work environment and increase morale so much more when we're vulnerable and transparent with enough with each other to bring in the dimension of 3D
0: thinking. Awesome. That's fantastic. It really makes me think about, I was trained as a, right out of college, I worked for a large outsourced payroll HR provider, ADP, and they taught us how to handle an objection with feel, felt, found. Okay. And you made me think about this idea of feels feels in the present, felt in the past, and founds in the future. And kind of a spin on your past, present, future, hindsight, insight, foresight. That's really cool. Awesome yeah. stuff. Again, keep at it. Well, hey, speaking of keeping at it, the podcast is called H.R. Like a Boss. The upcoming book that'll be published later this year or sometime in 2023 is called H.R. Like a Boss. And I get every single guest out of the show with one question. Tell me what you think it takes, Matt, for someone to do HR like a boss. HR like
1: a boss. Like I said, it's ultimately about the motivation. The people who do HR like a boss are motivated to get the people around them to perform at a high level and offers them the resources to actually perform well. And of course, you know, not to reiterate everything I just said, but To be a boss in HR, you've got to have mastered the techniques and skills of contextual intelligence, which includes the things we said, understanding complexity and complication. There's understanding 3D thinking and and integrating those concepts into your daily practice. Then you're HR like a boss.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt, for being on the show. I'm going to give a quick recap of a few things you said that stood out to me. And there were several I'll try to keep this as brief as possible. You use the the purpose of HR was to provide leadership to the organization, help your employees get to their best possible self and open doors for them to achieve their, their their greatest achievements at their work. I think it's incredibly important. We obviously spent a fair amount of time. I think I pronounced it correctly. Contextual intelligence. Enough time said, I figured it out. But you, you really dove into that 3D thinking that got me thinking from that hindsight, that foresight, that insight, that past, that future, that present. I think it really is another level for you as an HR professional. If you're listening as a father, as a son, as a brother, as a friend, to be able to work through conversations that you have in tough situations, whether it be at home or at work. Matt, I really appreciate you being on the show. I had a blast. and I learned a number of things. I had a blast, too. I really appreciate it, John. Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating or review. And better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.